Welcome to the Self-Confidence Collective, a podcast that helps highly ambitious women learn how to build self-confidence and create a life that aligns with their goals. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Kelly, PhD, a career coach with 10 years of experience in the field of psychology. And if you're ready to feel inspired, empowered, and prepared to take on your next career goal, this podcast is going to help you build the self-confidence and trust you need to make that happen. It's time to learn how to get the most out of your life simply by changing the way you think about it. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Self-Confidence Collective podcast. Today is another super exciting episode because we have an amazing guest on the show today to talk to us. We have Rhea Batchelder. She's a former big law attorney turned ICF certified coach for high achievers. She's a corporate wellness advocate, and Rhea uses her 10 plus years of research, writing, and counseling experience to help professionals navigate building confidence, finding fulfillment, and preventing burnout through evidence-based tools, support, and accountability. I loved having this conversation with Rhea. I definitely want to have her come on the podcast again because we could have talked for hours and hours, I feel like. In this episode, we speak about Rhea's career as a lawyer and the role that burnout played on her mental and physical health. Rhea kindly shares the warning signs and some practical strategies you can implement to curb burnout in your life. And I'm honored to have such an expert on this topic. We've never spoken about burnout before on this podcast, but I know that it is a global issue in the workplace that so many people are finding themselves experiencing. And Rhea shared this amazing expert advice with us on the podcast. And I know you'll enjoy this and I know you'll find it super informative, super helpful. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Rhea. Hello, Rhea, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I am very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so happy to have a fellow career coach on the podcast. For my listeners who um, don't know, Rhea and I met on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're out there on TikTok on, on the daily. <laughs> and how, how old are you? Are you a millennial? I'm 32. Yeah. Okay. I'm- yeah. I'm 28. Millennials nice. meeting on TikTok. Love it. <laughs> We're doing our best to support our small businesses out there. Yeah. I never imagined myself on TikTok, but I actually, I'm having a lot of fun with it recently. So yeah, I, I find it's great. And I kind of was the last one of my friends to get into TikTok. And now they don't even follow me because I'm on there all the time promoting my business. Totally. I was the same way. I didn't download it until last year and I just started using it in earnest in March. So pretty new to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I would love for you to tell me a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Sure. So my name is Rhea. As you said, my full name is Rhiannon, like the Fleetwood Mac song. Um, but most people, most people can't pronounce that. So I usually go by Rhea. Um, I am from originally from Denver, Colorado, where I live now. I grew up in the East Bay of California. And then when I was 17, I moved to New York City um, to go to NYU and lived the last decade or so out or uh, the decade or so before I moved to Denver out on the East coast. Um, I went to law school in U- at U Chicago and now I have been back in Denver for almost three years. So it's kind of my story of where I'm from. I've been all over the place. Um, and what I do. So I am an IFC certified coach. I specialize in helping professionals, especially professionals that do not fit the traditional corporate mold, navigate their careers to help them Um, build careers that are more fulfilling. I help them build confidence and I also help them um, work with burnout, either preventing burnout, managing burnout or healing from burnout. Um, I work with people all along the spectrum of struggling with stress. Um, So that's what I do on the coaching side, but I also am doing um, corporate speaking and consulting. I, you know, really believe in working on the system as a whole, as well as treating the individual. And hopefully my goal is to make the um, corporate culture a little bit more humane um, for people and reduce some of the stress levels that we're seeing today. Um, And then beyond that, I'm a lawyer. So (laughs) do- Are you still uh, practicing? I am doing some freelance work on the side while, you know, my business is up and running. I don't plan to practice full-time anytime again in the future, but I could see myself doing some like pro bono work. Um, cause I really love my pro, pro bono work when I used to practice. 
but so a little bit, not full time anymore, but I did, I did practice for six years before starting my business. So. Wow. That's so interesting. And one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you come on the podcast was to talk about burnout, which seems to be your, your specialty and how we can reduce our stress in the workplace and outside of the workplace um, and all that, because I don't think I've touched on that really on the podcast so far. So I know that my listeners, I think everyone can relate to this. We've all been burnt out at some point, whether we recognize it or not. Um, But something I wanted to ask you about was what was NYU like? Oh, NYU. Oh my gosh. I loved it. I, I came from a pretty small town in Northern California, you know, just a lot of farms and like a bowling alley. Um, So I always wanted to get really far away from that atmosphere um, <laughs> and New York city was, based- do it. <laughs> I really loved NYU. I mean, you don't have a traditional campus, so you are just downtown in, you know, dorm buildings, but that are next to other New York city buildings. I really liked that experience. Um, I loved the city. It just felt so energizing and exciting to be part of, you know, that community. It was not the traditional college experience at all. Like there were no, big frat parties. We couldn't like party in dorms or anything. We'd get in trouble. So everyone went out to bars, just felt a little more like adult in that way. Um, But I really, really enjoyed it because I was just from such a small town that just expanded my mind so much. You know, I met so many different people, spoke so many different languages from so many different places. And my perspective grew and grew, grew, grew. So it was, you know, it was uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh. I've been to the campus in New York City and it's really cool over there. And did you know that you wanted to practice law when you went to NYU? Yeah. Um, so I studied politics and history, which is the pretty traditional, you know, um, major to take when you're going to law school. There's not a pre-law major at NYU. Yes. I had planned on being a lawyer since I was like seven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> made it up. I have no lawyers in my family. So it's pretty unclear where it came from. It must have been like a movie or a show. Um, Cause I really didn't know any lawyers, but that had been my goal from when I was pretty young. And yeah, I was working towards that when I started at NYU for sure. That must've been very difficult to transition out of law then if you had been planning on doing it for so long. Yeah. Yes. And no. Um, so I burned out really, really hard in my yeah. legal career. That's why I specialize in burnout now because I really understand it. And I also understand how big of a problem it is. Um, And I wish I could go back and shake myself as I was leading up to my very severe burnout in 2020 because there were so many signs along the way. um, And I just didn't do anything to help myself. And until I got to a point where I was basically hitting a wall and there was no denying that I was really struggling. Um, So when I left law, I... Well, let me back up. I'll tell you the story yeah, a little. Wait. So I want to hear the story of like, yeah, your time in law school and stuff. Oh, in law school? Um, or no, no, sorry. When you were, were a lawyer and you began. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My law school story isn't, isn't that exciting. But um, so I practice complex commercial litigation in big law. Big law is basically like, you know, like the big four accounting firms. It's the same concept. Um but applying to law firms, it's essentially you're working at these really, really big firms that have a very specific culture. And the culture is very intense, let me tell you. Um, you are both recording every minute of your working time. So, you know, you're billing to a client, but you're recording every single minute of you doing something, which is very taxing. And you're working like 14 hour days regularly. Um, and you're never supposed to be you're always on call. So you always have your phone around. Like if you go on a date, your phone's up. Um, a lot of my friends would bring their laptops to dinners, my law friends, because they'd have to whip them out. It was just a very, very, very intense atmosphere. And then the work was hard too, like challenging as well, um, both in terms of density, but also in terms of we were working on multi-million billion dollar disputes for large companies, like on the front page news. So everything was urgent. Everything was stressful, big deal. So that was my career. Um, I also had a really amazing pro bono practice, um, which was exciting, but it's not, it doesn't play in as much to the burnout story. So we'll table that for now. Um, I practiced for about six years in 2019, the end of 2019. I moved to Denver actually, because I was exhausted. I felt like all I was doing was I would get up, rush out the door, 
um, commute to Midtown Manhattan, work until about 9 p.m., take a black car 45 minutes home because uh, I lived in Brooklyn and I needed a luxury building because I was never home. So I needed someone to receive my packages and like protect me when I came home at night at 10 p.m., which meant I had to live 45 minutes from work. It was just a nightmare. I felt like, what am I even doing with my life? So I moved here trying to, you know, make things better, thinking that would work. Um, I transferred with my firm that I had worked at, which really is a great firm if you want to practice in big law. But I have since learned it's just not the atmosphere for me. Um, and then 2020 hit. Everything was intense. I had just moved here. I had no friends. I was living alone in a high-rise apartment with a bunch of people. So I felt kind of like trapped inside of my unit even because going in the elevator, you know, had all this exposure and we didn't know so very much about COVID. So I was spending a lot of time in my little box alone, um, just kind of panicking. And all I was doing was working and work was really intense as well. And then everything happening in the United States was like also emotionally intense, like um, you know, the Black Lives Matter marches and wanting to participate in that and seeing, you know, police violence in response to that on the on TV. Everything just felt like so crushing. And, um, you know, I've since learned about burnout, that it's the accumulation of stress from all different sources. Yeah. So I was really experiencing very severe burnout at that point, which looked like cynicism about work. I was really irritable. I was super a lot, I was dealing with a lot of brain fog, um, exhaustion, like hard time falling asleep, hard time waking up, which was annoying, always feeling kind of tired. I was making silly mistakes, which is very not like me and just feeling really unmotivated. So I felt that way most of 2020. Um, and then I ultimately got sick with COVID in July, 2020, which was again, terrifying. Oh my God. That's very it, early. It was yeah. early. I was convinced I was going to die. Oh <laughs> it's just so scary, you know, everything on the news. And I, yeah. was, I was alone and I was watching these stories about people like dying in their sleep. And I was just yeah. in a panic. So I actually took two weeks off of work to recover. And I didn't look at my work phone at all during that time, which had never happened since I started practicing. I had flus. I had depressive episodes. I had major breakups and chaos in my personal life. And I was always available for work. And this is the first time I set a hard boundary because I was like, you know, stress affects your immune system. And I just didn't want to risk it. I was really scared for my own health. Um, and then I came back and I just kind of felt different about everything I had been doing. And I started prioritizing myself a little more, signing off at 7 p.m., which is like, you know, blasphemy in the big law world. Um, and you know, taking lunch and going on walks in the morning. And I really just started like asking myself questions like, what do I want my life to be like? You know, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? So um, that was in the summer of 2020. And I just kept kind of stepping back, starting to set boundaries. And then at the end of the year in my performance review, you know, my firm was basically like, what's up with your hours? You know, like this isn't, you're not working enough. Because uh, there are very strict hours requirements. It's again a very intense atmosphere. Meanwhile, you're probably working like 50 hours a week or something. 100%. <laughs> I just wasn't hitting the 60 to 70. Um, yeah, I was working like normal, more normal nine to five hours, uh, maybe even a little more than that. Um, and they, but they, I basically was honest. I was like, I can't ever go back to that. I don't see myself ever going back to that. And they were honest as well. Like, we don't have associates who can't feel like that. So they gave me three months of paid leave, which was very generous to look for something else. Um, and I interviewed a lot of places and nothing really felt right. And it felt like I'd be making, you know, a compromise um, by accepting any of these jobs. I was looking in like public interest. I was looking in-house. I was looking at other firms. Nothing felt very aligned. And after six years of putting myself last and, you know, just giving so much of myself to a job that ultimately I decided I didn't even love, wasn't for me. I, I felt like being very rebellious and coming up with a plan to start something that was like my dream that allowed me to live my dream. 
in terms of flexibility, in terms of the work, in terms of who I was working with, in terms of control, because I like to be my own boss. Um, so I actually turned down all the jobs I was in, you know, late round interviews with and took a life coach certification course. And here we are almost a year and a half later. So that's my story. I, I really relate to that because my the, how I started my business was kind of similar. Not that I was burnt out, but I was finishing my PhD and interviewing for what I would have considered like dream jobs in research, kind of similar to you, but just really something was off, like something was falling flat, didn't feel aligned, even though on paper, these were really great positions. And I was, you know, making it to the interview process and having great conversations. There was just that nagging feeling like, no, this isn't it. This isn't what you're capable of. Like you're capable of so much more than this. This would be settling, like kind of what you just said. Yeah, that's the exact same feeling I had. And it's interesting because similarly to you, if people had looked at the jobs I was interviewing for, people would be like, oh my gosh, congratulations. I'm so impressed. You're so amazing, successful. Um, And when I took my life coach certification course, people were like, what are you doing? What do you mean? But getting to the place where you can listen to that gut feeling and follow it, versus thinking about how people are going to react to you and the praise you're going to get externally. That's how you live a good life, right? Yeah. Find fulfillment long-term because it feels good to be praised by other people and it's difficult to be questioned by other people. But as long as you're following that, your own intuition and your own passion, it's always going to be worth it. And you're going to be happier for it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. There's family members of mine who still don't understand. They're like, you have your PhD. Why are you a life coach? (laughs) Like, why are you coaching people? It doesn't make sense. But I always realized like that's their own perception being reflected back on me. And at the end of the day, I have to do what's right for me. And I'm sure maybe you experienced this as well. But whenever I did decide to leave my research career, what, what I considered like a really professional, prestigious academic career to go become a coach where the, the barrier to entry is so low and like anyone can call themselves a coach. I did have that mind drama of like, what am I doing? This isn't as prestigious a career. And I had all that whole fight with myself in my head. Did you experience that at all, especially being a lawyer? A little bit um, less with myself. I more was concerned about like the external judgment. So I just started posting my stuff on LinkedIn, for example, because all of my connections are lawyers (laughs) in my old world. And I know they're judging me because I know lawyers and they, (laughs) especially lawyers of that caliber for the most part. I mean, I love y'all, but you, you know, that's true. Um, And there's a lot of elitism going on and, you know, yeah. So I, I felt less that way about myself because I know what coaching can do for people. And I find it to be um, a job that requires a lot of skill. And yes, anyone can call themselves a coach, but great coaches are, you know, more rare. (laughs) And so I, I personally didn't go through that with myself, but I did. I felt nervous about getting judged by others. And I let that hold me back for a while, for sure. So that was something I had to work work towards, um, just kind of being like, I don't really care. You can yeah. judge me. And I know what I'm doing is important. And I know I'm still the same person that people used to think was impressive. I'm still just as smart and capable and analytical. And I still do the research. I just research things I'm actually interested in now. And that I believe can actually help the world versus, you know, um, a post-merger purchase price dispute. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is, but yeah. (laughs) Who even? It doesn't matter. (laughs) I get all of my legal knowledge from Miranda from Sex in the City. hilarious love Martin. who I remember in an episode actually she was arguing with her boss because she had just had a baby and she was like I'm cutting down to 60 hours a week and I was like <laughs> 60 hours a week what I know I was just gonna say like I'm sure it's glamorized I'm sure whenever you were out at the restaurants having dinner whipping out the laptop being on the phone all the time taking those black cars home living in a luxury building like that's probably very 
tempting to it's probably very tempting to stay there for those amenities and different luxuries and things like that that is for sure um and i didn't grow up with that kind of money so for me it was very it was very exciting at first i'm not gonna lie um when you so when you start when you work in big law you usually work as as a summer associate first and it's the summer after your second year in law school that you go actually work at the law firm, meet people, get some work done, but mostly they're courting you. So um, the first firm I worked at was really, was one of the most top firms in the country and they had a lot of money and it would be things like raw bars every Friday. Um, I went on a sailboat in the Hudson river for a sail cruise. Like just, I I was getting my nails done on the firm weekly, Um, fancy dinners, fancy lunches, a couple times a week, uh, wine, you know, like all of it. It was, it was extremely enticing. And then the money you start to make was just shocking to me. Um, but also when you're a summer associate, you work like pretty much nine to five, nine to six, and you're getting really good work and people treat you really well. And that shifts entirely when you start working as an associate, it's just so, 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 so different. Um, and you're still making the money, but it's like, you don't even have the time to do most of the things you did as a summer. Like you, you don't have very much time to go to dinner and, uh, if you do, it's late and everyone's on their phones. It's stressful. Um, so it shifted, but I, I'm, I definitely agree with you that I was really drawn in by the money for a while. I remember my first year when I was a first year associate, I was on this case where, um, we, it was super top secret for really a top bank. And we weren't even allowed to talk about it within the firm, which is pretty unusual. Um, And we had to go to London to interview witnesses. And (laughs) I was being flown business class to London. And I remember, I'll never forget getting out of the car at this really fancy hotel that my secretary just booked me. You know, they just do this. And like a butler ran out and he had like a large top hat. And he was like getting flustered because I was touching my luggage. And I was like, oh, I'm too, I'm not rich enough to understand the protocols. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to That's an insult. Yeah, he exactly. He was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like trying to open the door for me. He was just stressed, the poor man, um, the entire time because I continued to keep trying to carry my own stuff. But I, it was very glamorous in certain ways. In other ways, it's you sitting at a desk alone um, until 10 p.m. most nights. So, you know. Yeah. I've actually had a few clients who were – trying to transition into a corporate career that had those kind of luxury amenities, you know, work dinners, you know, expenses paid, things like that. And they were kind of questioning, like, is it okay for me to want to work somewhere because of those amenities? And how would you, what's your take on that? Do you think that someone, if they really do want that kind of corporate lifestyle, should they chase that? If it was my client, I would, be asking some why questions before answering that. So why do you want that? You know, if it's because it's going to impress other people around you, why do you want that? Do you feel impressed with yourself? So I would dig into it a little more before answering that question. I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I'm, and a coach now. So the answer is always, it depends. Um, But if that is genuinely something that you want to try out, yes. Like, yes. I don't think, there's one right answer for how to live and work. What I try to work on with my clients is figuring out what feels good and authentic to them. And a lot of that means exploring options. So as long as you, you know, have your head on your shoulders and um, are comfortable like exiting, if it doesn't feel good to you for whatever reasons, you have predefined your values. So you know, what's going to align with them long-term. And then once you get in that job, you can kind of really compare to whether it's meeting your expectations in those ways. Great. Like explore, Um, but also make sure, yeah, you're tethered to those values and how you want to live and work long-term as well. Cause it's easy to get carried away and distracted as someone who did that. (laughs) Money is a very good distraction, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I had that kind of with my PhD, it was a salaried 
PhD position. So they were essentially paying me to do it. And it was Mm. an EU funded project. So I did for the first time I was in a job where they were paying for my flights to go to conferences and things like that. And I thought I was so cool. I was like 24, 25, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Let me just like email the expense account and show my receipts and stuff. Like it was, it was just fun, honestly. But whenever it comes to chasing those amenities and things like that, I always say, just try it. See if you like it. That's the only way you're realistically going to figure something out anyway. Totally. And like you said, you might like it for a couple of years in your 20s when you have a lot of time and a lot of flexibility and a lot of energy and it feels exciting to try something like that. And then there might be a time where you, where you say like, this doesn't feel good anymore. And that's okay too. Um, I think a lot of people think they need to have it all figured out. Uh, but I have worked with people in their forties on their second career who don't have it all figured out. No one does. We're all just trying to figure out what feels good to us in the moment and do our best. So I agree with you. Like if you're in your, um, especially in your lower to mid twenties, explore and just let yourself learn what feels good and what doesn't. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, whenever I was considering changing careers after my PhD, I remember thinking, am I too old to change careers? Is this too late to change careers? And I was 26 years old. Oh my gosh, 26. Wow. I changed my career at 30. Yeah. But you know, no matter how young or how old you are, it's never too late to make a change if that what if that's what you feel is aligned with what you want. Yeah, I agree. I, a lot of people have that same hesitation. Um, and a thing I always like to say to my clients is like, okay, well, you could start now and be behind in your mind, or you could wait five more years until you're so miserable that you're definitely going to quit. And then you're five years more behind starting whatever this new project is that you want to explore. Um, I agree. I think it's, it's so, I mean, our parents' generation was very much, you know, the type to stay in a job and I want to be a loyal employee and stay here for 10 years. Right. But this is not really a thing anymore, especially with Gen Z, they are just moving around jobs um, willy nilly, which I freaking love. Like as you should be exploring and let's normalize, you know, employees being an important part of that conversation and getting to decide what's good for them and what isn't. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. If you are in that mindset, you know, hire someone to help you work through it because that is a block. It's not a truth. It's just something you're bringing you. Yes. And how did you transition into coaching then? Did you work with a coach for your burnout? Um, no, (laughs) I didn't. I was doing a lot of the research myself, which is kind of like formed the basis for a lot of my programs now. Um, I didn't really realize what exactly I was experiencing at first. Very obvious to me now looking back, but I didn't know anyone who was talking about burnout in the way that I'm talking about burnout and other experts are now as well. Um, so I didn't work with a coach. I probably should have because, you know, it would have been nice but to have that support. But I, um, no, I just rested a lot to recover, which was really important to me. But I also spent a lot of time kind of coaching myself and asking, you know, what are the biggest stressors in my life? What have been the things that have made me feel the most unmotivated? What are the things about law that I like? And what are the things that I don't like and don't want to do anymore? Um, so I kind of coached myself through that whole process and came up with, with the answers that led me to coaching. Um, because honestly, a lot of the things I did in law apply to my career now. Like I mostly researched complex issues. I wrote about them. Um, I made persuasive arguments. I did consulting. I did internal investigations and I did counseling. Like I counsel my clients. Um, And a lot of those things are things I do now just on different subjects and in a little bit different ways, but all the ways that I do them now feel a lot better to me. So I was able to kind of look at my career and think of all the things that I liked, all the things I wanted to keep going with. And then also the things that I wasn't interested in continuing, one of which was being an employee for other people. Um, (laughs) Just not for me. Like I like to do my own thing. I like to be my own boss. I struggle a bit with authority figures and uh, those dynamics. Um, (laughs) And it's just been really, really great to have that autonomy. I also think I never would have 
jumped into entrepreneurship if I didn't feel, if I wasn't in a career where I was so stifled. Like most people, you're not really allowed to like talk back or like really have an opinion about your work or say no um, in big lots. Very interesting culture. And after being in that for so long, I was like, I can't imagine taking a directive from one more man. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, like, if you're comfortable talking about this, I know that you make content around it, around like the sexism that you've experienced throughout your career. Could you maybe speak about that a little? Sure. I mean, gosh, where to even start? Um, I mean, I, I believe that there's still sexism present in almost all careers and almost all industries. Um, but it's definitely was the case in law. A lot of what I experienced was less. Um, I mean, there's, there were a lot of good apples, but some bad apples for sure. Uh, so one of the things I experienced very frequently is people just not believing I'm a lawyer. So I know um, people can't see me, but I'm blonde. I, if you saw me stand up, I'm pretty short. Um, just maybe not giving the stature of successful corporate lawyer. And um, a lot of people would just question me. So a lot of times I would get in, in like taxis, et cetera. And I would say, would ask what I do. And I'd say, I'm a lawyer. Um, and they'd be like, oh, you work at a law firm? Like, what do you do there? You're a receptionist? <laughs> literally just said, I'm a lawyer. Like, I just said it. And it's almost like people couldn't compute. <laughs> so there was always a lot of that. Or the, you meet guys at a bar, like, I'm a lawyer. Oh, really? And it's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Yes, really. And I'm excellent at it. Um, but so that was the experience I had a lot of times. Um, there's also just more subtle things, like, being spoken over in meetings more often than my male peers, um, sometimes being spoken to in ways that I don't see men being spoken to, not having um, a lot of room to express emotion. So a lot of the men I work with in law would get angry and frustrated and kind of passionate about their you know, stance when we're talking about case strategy. And I just found that women do not have that leeway. Um, There really can't be any emotion displayed because it's not seen as a passionate leader type of emotion. It's seen as, oh, the woman's too emotional, right? Like see their behavior, which 100% is emotion driven as emotional. They just see it as like assertive or something. Um, I also one time got feedback that I wasn't like, being as collegial as I should be and which is bullshit, right? Like I am a very nice person. A lot of people, hello, I just am like, I'm going to smile and like say, hello, how's your day? And I was, I literally said in the meeting, I was like, "Mm," you know, like that doesn't feel uh, like appropriate commentary on my behavior because it wasn't. Do you have any idea what that stemmed from? It's gendered. Women should be the ones in the room that make everyone feel good. I am a lawyer. I am here to get things done. I have opinions. I'm going to state them. I have never, I've, I dealt with some imposter syndrome in my career, but I've also always been someone who believed in my voice and I worked really hard to be able to speak up in meetings. And I think people are a little like thrown off by that too, because again, I'm woman in the room and usually um, statistically women are speaking up less in those rooms, which is why I like to work with women because I want to hear more of us speaking up in the rooms that matter. Um, but I think just like being assertive, being a little direct and not always being super, super bubbly, not always, I didn't always go to like the pizza parties or whatever because I was working my ass off and I didn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's where it came from, but it is just kind of a tricky, a tricky line to walk. Um, Because the truth is data shows that, you know, just women being direct at work and being more assertive in the exact same way as their male coworkers are, is perceived differently by both men and women. So it's, it has been a a bit of a challenge. And I know that a lot of um, both women and non-binary people and anyone who's kind of outside of the like cis white male, like bubble um, deals with in the corporate environment, which is, you know, it sucks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I bet you would never really hear a man probably get that kind of a comment during a progress review. You're not being friendly enough. You're not going to enough events. And it's almost as if there's 
like a range of emotions that are acceptable or tolerated. Like if you're displaying anger or frustration or assertiveness, like you were saying, but when a man does that, he's perceived as powerful. When a woman, let's say maybe cries over a brief or something like that, it's considered emotional. It's considered, you know, inappropriate. Yeah. I find interesting. Yeah. And actually research shows that even if women act like show anger in the same way a man does, it's still perceived as too emotional. Whereas the man is literally seen as a leadership quality. Like, oh, he's just passionate. He's the leader. Of course he feels that way. You know, mm, makes me crazy. Um, But I think it's great that a lot of people are talking about this. Um, A lot more people are talking about this and hopefully culture will start shifting more and more. Um, Especially as there are more powerful women and non-binary folks you know, making their ways up the ranks in the corporate world. Um, I do think that is going to have a huge, huge impact on culture overall. So I'm very hopeful. Um, and if you are listening and you've dealt with this, like work on that confidence and not backing down because it can be difficult. Um, but when you understand why people are giving you that feedback, it's easier to continue being yourself and taking up space um, because it's really not about you. It's more about, you know, a gendered perception of how people are supposed to look and operate in the world, but also in work at work. Yeah. Thanks so much for um, saying that. And I, I was just wondering what your take on this was, because, you know, why do you think that the working hours are so long for a lawyer? Easy answer. We are billing all of our time. So the more minutes you bill, you write in your little billable calendar, the more that the firm makes because it bills it directly to the client. Right. So it's like your time is very um, measurable in law. Like it's you are sitting there and if you're not working on something, you don't get a bill for it. So if you take lunch, if you're talking to a colleague, if you're doing, if you're printing something out, like something that isn't technically legal work, you're not billing. So everyone's just sitting there trying to get their 10 hours of billable work in their calendar a day. And then the firm takes that and bills it out. I think they used to bill me out at $800 an hour. So, um, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. So then how much is that? 800 times a hundred. Is that 80,000? 80,000 a day. That's why (laughs) they want to make money, more money. And then did you, how did you find the transition then going from, you know, measuring money by time to like transitioning into a business owner where you're kind of unlearning that time equals money and it's value that equals money. How did you find that transition? Um, yeah, it was interesting. I think it would have been more difficult if I wasn't so burned out, but I was at the place where I was just like, I am done with this. I am exhausted. I was only working for the first like year of my business. I was only working really like 20 hours a week because I couldn't do more. I had hit such, and this is like why I'm so passionate about talking about burnout, because if you get to a certain place, like your body, your nervous system is not going to allow you to operate at the same level you used to, um, which is disruptive and not realistic for many of us. I had a lot of privilege in being able to lay down a lot. Um, So it wasn't that big of a, a challenge for me, honestly. I had, I think I just pushed myself so far down that path that I sprung backwards. And I was like, Nope, I don't want to live like that. Um, sometimes I feel pressure to be working, you know, like more hours, but mostly I've found, I've done a lot of work on my self-worth and disconnecting that from my work product and what I used to think success looked like. And so it's pretty easy for me to operate in a way that's respectful to my boundaries and my limits and, um, I will never be burned out again because it was so hellish. I will never put myself in that situation again. Uh, So it's been easier than you would think, I think, but only because I pushed it just way too far. Yeah. But sometimes I think you need to hit that proverbial rock bottom moment for you to finally make a change in your life. Because if a lot of people can just hang out and settle in that mediocrity, right in that middle, you know, I'm kind of burnt out, kind of hate my job. Yeah, but it's not too bad. So I won't change. And so sometimes it's a blessing in disguise that you do reach that point where you have to make a change and do something. Yeah, I mean, 
I, and I changed my entire life, right? Like yeah, every, we love life, to see it. <laughs> everything about my life is different. And so it really was a blessing to me. Cause I think if I, I don't know that I would have gotten to this place this soon, maybe after five more years in law. And then I'm suddenly like, uh, still doesn't feel right. Okay. Maybe we'll try something new. Um, so I'm very grateful for that, but I also, at the same time, it's hard because I don't want people to get there. It was nasty. Um, the way my body felt and my brain felt was just brutal and it was scary too. And there wasn't a lot of solutions out there for that I could find until I started, you know, deep diving into burnout research. Um, so yes, I agree, but I also like, I encourage anyone who's listening, don't let yourself get there. If you're in that middle place, just get some help, get a coach, invest in yourself and start talking through it. Um, and that will get you some clarity on, on what's next and how to improve your life. Um, as it is now, right. Because I work with a lot of people who, you know, don't want their careers to be their whole lives. And, feel like they should be super fulfilled by this career. But what they really need is to focus, to set some boundaries and focus on building up their life outside of work. If you are in that mediocre middle place, definitely get support, talk to someone um, and try to find some clarity on how you can improve your life. Even if you're staying in your job, how can you make it feel better? Um, a lot of times there's just, it's just a matter of setting boundaries, maybe shuffling around tasks or disconnecting your worth from um, your productivity or having a certain type of role or job. So there's a lot that you can do to feel better. And I just, yes, it was a blessing that I hit that wall, but I also, I don't want other people to hit that wall. That's the entire point of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Cause I don't want people, I mean, there's research out there that says it can take up to five years to recover from severe burnout. Oh, I believe it. Like that's not, I don't want that for anybody. And I do think a lot of people are just thinking, oh, it's not that bad yet. It's not that bad yet. Just like I did. And eventually <laughs> it will get worse. So take some action now, invest in yourself and just know that you deserve to feel good at work and with your life. Um, and it doesn't have to be so complicated. Like there are solutions. Could you maybe describe what a day in the life looked like when you were at your peak burnout? And then maybe talk about ways that people can recognize those warning signs as they're getting closer to getting to that space. Yes. Peak burnout. Gosh. Um, yeah. So my, like, uh, my adrenals were all messed up because my cortisol was all over the place. Um, so I really struggled to wake up in the morning. I just wouldn't feel energized at all, which I feel so much better now. Um, <laughs> but I would usually like my alarm would go off. I'd snooze it multiple times and just like feel miserable, feel misery in my bed <laughs> and probably open my phone, probably check my work email to be honest with you. Um, maybe scroll on social media a bit, like just trying to stay in bed. I'd probably then make myself like some minimal breakfast and coffee, lots of coffee, lots of black coffee and open my computer. Cause I just laid in bed and wasted like the entire morning. I could have done something for myself away. Um, and then I would work, but when I was in peak burnout, it was really difficult. Like I, um, in corporate law, you're reading a lot of like very complex documents, also really complex research, like in legalese, which sounds like another language. A lot of times it's just a lot. And I just remember sitting there and just like struggling to comprehend things, rereading it, rereading it. I would make the dumbest mistakes. Like um, someone would ask me to send them a document and I would just send a different document or like I saved over something that I had done with something else. It was just, my brain was so foggy and I also had no motivation. So anyone who called me, I was like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, like now I have to talk to them. Um, I have to do this project. It was just really, really difficult. I mean, my day in the life was not that exciting because it mostly was just me behind a computer screen. And eventually I would just log off and probably binge watch TV while eating without really thinking about a lot. I had very little energy to show up for myself. Um, yeah. So it was, it was pretty depressing to be honest with you. The symptoms that I would have people look for mine started years earlier. Um, 
I started with like muscle tightness. So like that's a sign of stress stored in the body, right? Um, I was experiencing a lot of muscle tightness. I was going to PTs multiple times a week, personal, um, physical therapist, personal therapist, Mm -hmm. physical therapist multiple times a week was regular for me also to go to them. I remember I would change into my workout clothes in my office, run to the physical therapist's office, get, they'd work on me and then I'd run back. So I wouldn't miss not helpful at all. Cortisol Um, um, to my listeners who don't know, cortisol is the hormone that's released whenever you're feeling stressed. Yes, exactly. Um, and it can be good, right? That's it's the also the hormone that's released in the morning when you need energy. Yeah, when you're supposed to have it, yeah. <laughs> right. But if you're constantly feeling that like fight or flight feeling where you're, you know, you're getting your cortisol spiking and and that eventually messes up your whole body if if it's gone uncontrolled for a while. Uh, so that was happening. I also went had to go to a hormone specialist because um I was breaking out like crazy and just felt feeling like really bloated and gross all the time. And really, again, struggling to wake up in the morning and fall asleep at night. That was one of my earlier symptoms too. So just noticing those like slight, um, cortisol shifts. Uh, so yeah, if you're struggling to fall asleep at night, struggling to wake up in the morning, something to talk to your doctor about might be a hormone imbalance. I got my hormones tested. It was a nightmare. Um, so it, the stress was really starting to impact, you know, the way my body was operating and showing up in my muscles. Um, I remember going to an osteopath, which is kind of like a chiropractor, but less cracky, less extreme. And, um, (laughs) they were just like giving me, he would give me like muscle, like little massages kind of, and he would just be like, you gotta quit. Like you gotta quit. This is, (laughs) yeah, he knew. He was like, this is not good. I had five different doctors tell me I needed to quit um, because of the way the stress started showing up in my life. I did not listen to any of them and I did not do anything different. Even if I had continued to work those hours, if I had been incorporating stress management in my day, it wouldn't have been showing up like that. But just little stuff like little changes in your body, feeling more exhausted, just feeling off. That's something to look for. And then the symptoms get more extreme exhaustion. Um, brain fog, the irritability I talked about, decreased motivation where you just like don't care. You don't want to do it. Um, Even cynicism is a symptom. So feeling like nothing matters, like what I'm doing doesn't matter. This job doesn't matter. No one cares about me. That um, can be a symptom of burnout. And then it gets even more extreme, like mental health issues, um, depression, isolation, anxiety, substance abuse are can are like where burnout can take you um, ultimately. So it feels a lot like depression in some ways. Um, in other ways, it doesn't feel the same way, but in some ways it does because that like demotivated, uh, I'm not really feeling present. I don't really feel checked in to my body or my life kind of feeling um, is, and that's when burnout is already there. Like it's taken hold in your body. Like you are in, in burnout mode. Um, So I would say pay close attention to just changes in your body, changes in your muscles. Are you getting injured more stuff like that? Are you having trouble falling asleep? Are you having trouble waking up? Um, But ultimately anyone who has consistent stressors in their lives. So um, if you work a high stress job or a job that's stressing you out because you're a perfectionist and everything stresses you out. Um, if you're dealing with a lot of negative self-talk, that's a consistent stressor. Caretakers have consistent stress. Parents, also people taking care of sick relatives. Um, if you're in toxic relationships, that's a consistent stressor. So anyone who's dealing with a consistent stressor should be watching for burnout and incorporating stress management in their life. I could imagine that that begins to get so frustrating whenever you're having all of these symptoms and you're almost putting, adding more to your plate, trying to treat these symptoms, paying money to go see professionals to try and help these symptoms. And it's not working and you're yeah. still not treating the root cause of it, which is the stress, yeah, the it, major stressor. Exactly. The stressor and the stress, right? Because like when we experience a stressor, then the bot, the stress is the physiological response that we have in our body. And even if you remove the stressor, if you turn in your project, that stress still exists in your body. Like you didn't clear it. So, um, 
that's just something I feel excited to tell people. But yes, I was 100%. I was going to acupuncture. I was getting laser facials to fix my skin, um, throwing all this money at, at all the professionals. And like you said, I didn't have a lot of free time. So yeah, I can um, imagine using that into my week was difficult. And I would have been so much better served by, you know, setting some boundaries, dealing with my own perfectionism, um, you know, learning to really clear stress, making sure I'm exercising in a way that because at the time I was very much focused on like being thin and like beautiful and this New York, like <laughs> Barbie almost, um, corporate Barbie. Blonde. Yeah, right. Like, uh, um, so the workouts I did were really, really intense, which is what, not what my body needed at all at the time. Like I needed to be going on some relaxing walks with maybe some meditation music in my ears. Um, and I, I, if I had spent those couple hours, I was spending at appointments showing up for myself and working on my mindset, I would have had such a different experience. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, look, you got there in the end. And something that I talk a lot about here on the podcast is mindset. My work is based in cognitive behavioral psychology, really focusing on what you're thinking, what you're believing about your circumstances, what you're telling yourself about what's going on, and how that is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and that creates your emotional experience. So whenever you were talking there about what a day in the life looked like, you were saying like, a lot of probably what was going through your head, which is like, I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, what was your mindset like at the time? Do you remember what the kind of thought loop was like? I mean, it was kind of like you're saying, just, I have to get this done. And I don't think there was a lot else that was super conscious. If I go, like, if I look back, I mean, I was thinking, I don't know what's next. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know if I'm going to like anything more, I don't know if I'm ever going to make this much money again. Um, I don't know what my passion is. If this isn't right, I'm not sure I want to do litigation. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to keep on this path. You know, some, if a coach had been pushing me, that's probably where, what I would have said. Um, so that was really my mindset. And I just, I also, I connected a lot of my worth to my career And it was hard to see myself, envision myself not in a legal role, um, especially one that was that impressive, right, to other people. So it was that, yeah, that's probably what my mindset was at the time. It's hard to remember. Do you do mindset work with your clients as well? A lot. So there are like external stressors when it comes to burnout, right? Like work stress, um, a toxic manager who is disrespecting you. Um, what else? Hours, just tasks you have to do in the day. This system that we live in, capitalism, um, patriarchy, like all of these are external stressors that we deal with. But there are also like what I like to call internal stressors, which is like the way we talk to ourselves. Um perfectionism. Yes. How we see ourselves in the world, what we see our worth as tied to, um, how worthy we feel. And those I think are are incredibly important, especially because we have the most control over them, um, versus some of the external stuff we don't get to control, um, in the same way. So hundred percent, I work with my clients a lot on those things because a lot of my clients are overachievers who are perfectionists and they need to first, untie those thoughts of this is what I have to do to be successful. This is what I should be doing. This is what I, what work needs to look like. So typically that's where I start with clients because pulling apart some of those thought patterns is extremely helpful as you know. Um, and then it's also my most favorite part about coaching because just watching those, you know, aha light bulb yeah. moments where you ask the right question and they're like, Oh my God, like yeah, mind blown. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking about myself. And I don't even agree with that, you know, or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. so, so gratifying and fulfilling. Um, And it's exciting also to give people that like toolbox of like, here's how you can deal with your thoughts and manage your thoughts. I was just going to say when I first, when I got COVID and I told you that story of starting to go outside and like do things for myself, one of the things I started doing was mindset journaling. So I would sit down um, before my walk and write in the mindset, like, I, I'm so proud of myself for X, Y, Z, you know, just like 
hyping myself up um, because I was in a pretty low place. And I think that had a massive impact on my ability to make make the shifts I have. Um, And I continue to work on that myself constantly. So I think it's super powerful and definitely something I work on with my clients. Yeah. My listeners will know I always talk about journaling and how important that is. Um, I was going (laughs) to ask you, do you know Kara, Kara Lowenthal? Do you know her? How do you say her name? I, do, Lowenthal? I, mean, I think that's how you say it. I don't know her, personally, but I do unfuck your brain. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what you're talking about. It's like feminism, the patriarchy, managing your mindset. She was an ex lawyer as well. So yeah. yeah. And she worked with a organization. I think she worked with a nonprofit uh, or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it's if, when, how, I think that's the organization she worked with. Um, and I've worked with them too. So it is kind of yeah. funny. Um, I think cause they do reproductive rights stuff, I believe. And yeah. I used that pro bono. Um, so yes, we have very similar backgrounds. Hopefully one day we can meet each other. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. That would be amazing. I will link, um, her podcast in the show notes. If anyone is interested in what we've been talking about and wants to check out more stuff like that. But yeah. besides getting in touch with you, cause I'm going to put your links in the show notes too. If any of my listeners are really resonating with what you're saying and being like, oh my God, that is me. I am going through this right now and needs their needs your help. I will put links for all of your um, stuff in the show notes. But what other advice would you have for someone? Just a last piece of advice for someone who is going through this right now and feeling burnt out. My number one piece of advice is to sit down and write down all the things that are stressing you out the most. So I would start with work, what tasks are stressing you out, what um, dynamics are stressing you out the most. And then I would start with your home, what chores are stressing you out the most, what dynamics are stressing you out the most, and then probably your internal world too, right? Like, are you dealing with extreme perfectionism? Is your inner critic out of control? How's your self-care? So write down your stressors for each of those subjects and then go through each one and identify where you can set boundaries, delegate or offload. Um, Because if you start to minimize stressors in your life, you will start to feel better. A lot of people think like, oh, this is just my life. And they get really overwhelmed and caught up in that, just feeling like, they need to grind through every day when there are small adjustments you can make. So I worked with a, um, a woman who was the director at a nonprofit and she was feeling pretty burned out. And one of the things we did was look at all of her work tasks and look at what just felt the most laborious to her, like emotionally. And, um, she went and talked to the executive director and rearranged her role. So little things like that can happen or can make a really big difference. Or like if you hate, clean doing your laundry like can you outsource that you know can you ask for help from your partner um just little things like that will make a big difference and then come up with a stress management plan so there are like proven ways to complete the stress cycle which we didn't talk about a ton but if you come to my page I talk about it a lot um and you want to be incorporating some sort of routine or habit or self-care practice that is shown to clear stress from your body so you're both dealing with the stressor and the stress Um, and you will find a lot of relief if you, if you work through those things, if you need help, let me know. I have, um, I do one-on-one coaching, but I also do burnout audits, which is just like a 90 minute session where I help walk you through that process. So you really do understand what's causing your burnout and how to get out of it. Thanks so much for mentioning that. And Thanks again for um, outlining that bit of advice that you had. Thank you so much for giving that advice. It seems very doable and it's something very practical that people can implement as soon as they listen to this podcast. So I'm sure that that can really benefit from some of the listeners today. And I also remember it kind of touches on something else that I've seen floating around the internet, but they always talk about like, write down a list of everything that you're worried about and then cross out what you can't control and then just go to work on what you can control. And it's really just like eliminating those things that are outside of your control that float around our head all day that we think that we need to productively worry about. And so I'm sure that it can be super helpful to just get it all out on paper, write everything down and just see it for yourself. So it's out of your brain and and recognize what are the facts here? What are the fiction? What are the thoughts here? What are what's the mind drama versus my circumstances? So yeah, I'm sure that that everyone finds that super helpful that you implement that strategy with. Yeah, that's super powerful. I love that exercise because 
it also shows you, right? Like, yes, you're crossing off the things you, you can't control, but it also shows you there are things in your control that, and if you focus your attention there, um, you can see real changes in your life. I think a lot of people feel stuck or in their, in their circumstances or in their thoughts. Um, and you know, both of us as coaches, I'm sure, you know, feel really passionately that there's always solutions. There's always a path out. So if you're feeling that way, just, you know, and you need some support, like find it and someone will help guide you through the process, but you can also do a lot on your own. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and your work with me and all about burnout on the podcast. I'm sure my listeners got so much help out of that. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really, really fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it, please subscribe and leave a review. Make sure you head to melissakellyphd.com forward slash self-confidence to download my free five-step formula for building self-confidence and to receive updates about the next cycle of my group coaching program, which is also called the Self-Confidence Collective. You can also work with me individually, so book a free consultation or join the waitlist for my three-month one-on-one career coaching program. All the links you need will be in the show notes. Have a beautiful day, my friend, and I'll talk to you next time.